The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, as you know, we're working through the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's a crazy, awesome book. And uh, what the writer of Hebrews has been doing is basically he has his Old Testament, which is his Hebrew Bible is the same thing as your Old Testament. And he's flipping through the Old Testament and he's teaching, understanding the Old Testament in light of Jesus. Uh, if you've been with us through this study of Hebrews, you know he's been showing a specific interest in the Old Covenant where God gave Israel priests and a sacrificial system. And this was the way that they were to enjoy fellowship with the Holy God, though they were sinful. That God said here, the priest will take an offering of the blood of an animal and lay it on the offering, lay it on the altar as an offering to cover your sin. And that will enable God's presence to dwell in the temple amid the people so that sinful man can enjoy a holy God in his midst. Now, the way the priest was able to enter into that holy of holies and make that sacrificial offering, he had to first sacrifice an offering for his own sins. And so we see a lot of theology, and the writer of Hebrews has been telling us all that points to Jesus. He says you should see how Jesus is the great high priest who did away with the priesthood because he is the high priest of God, the God-man who intercedes between a holy God and sinful man. And when he offered his offering, it wasn't the blood of a goat or an animal. It was his own blood, his own spotless blood. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he was crucified on the cross to sacrifice his own blood to cover the sins of humanity. And we see all throughout the the book of Hebrews, he's been explaining the theology, the the meaning of the blood of Christ and how his blood makes us right with God. And that's pretty much what he did all the way up until chapter 11. Now, when he gets to chapter 11, we see he transitions to a more practical theology. Now he's saying, if you believe this, if you have faith in the blood of Jesus, there are implications. It will make a radical difference in your life. And the way he's going to make this point to us in chapter 11 is by flipping through the Old Testament, the men of old, he calls them, the Old Testament men and women, and showing us how faith in God transformed their life. And he's holding them out for us as examples And we saw how he's been going through Genesis 1 and in Hebrews 11. And in verse 2, he talked about by faith in the unseen realities, we know God created. That's Genesis 1, right? And then he said last week, by faith, Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable, but Abel's sacrifice was. He's in chapter 4 of Genesis. And so he said Abel, was, his sacrifice of worship was accepted by faith. And we saw how that applied to us. And his point was this, that the, the sacrifice does not make the worshiper right with God. He said Cain thought he could live like a fool during the week and then come into the presence of God and offer him some offering and it was going to cover everything and make it good. And God said, get out of my face. But to Abel... Abel's sacrifice, Abel's offering was brought in gratitude. Gratitude that God made him acceptable by the seed that he promised to send. And the only natural response to being made right with God due to no merits or no efforts of my own, the only natural response then is to lay my life down in worship. 
That's why we go to church, to thank God and praise God for making us right with himself through the blood of Jesus. That's why we give offerings. That's why we serve. That's why we do good deeds. That's why we exist as a people. We're not here trying to be made right with God on our own merits. He says, don't bring that in front of me. We're here to say, praise God, that though I am a sinner and I still mess up, I'm declared righteous with the Holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what defines us as a people. And he's saying, if that's you, then that changes who you are. And today he's going to move on from Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, to Genesis 5. So we see in Hebrews, he's walking through your Old Testament scriptures teaching us from those lives. And so today he's going to get to the life of Enoch. Now Enoch is a strange dude. Enoch, we read in the scriptures, walked with God and was no more. That's just weird. What do you mean was no more? I mean, we think of Star Trek, beam me up Scotty, and he's gone. And that may have been pretty much exactly what happened, but we don't know exactly how he was taken with God. It's just a weird situation. And in fact, I won't mention the name, David Elston, asked me if he could preach... He said, can I preach one more time because it may be my last chance. And he says, but anything but Enoch. And I'm like, really? I did everything I could to make him preach Enoch since that's the one he didn't want to, but I didn't. So Enoch's just a strange dude. So let's see what we can learn from Enoch. The one main thing that we're going to learn today about Enoch is Enoch pleased God. Enoch pleased God. So let me ask you this. If you were to make a list, I want you to try your hardest to think, don't, don't just give me the answer. You're in church and you think, what's the churchy answer? Don't give me the churchy answer. But in your heart, really, if you had to list 10 things that you said, all right, top 10 lists of things that I can do that please God, number 10, number 9, what's number 1? What is it in your heart of hearts that if nobody is looking and you're just being honest, that you think this is the number one most pleasing thing I can do for God. What is it? Don't say it out loud. Just think about it. Try to answer it in just that brief pause. And we're going to come back to that after we see how Enoch pleased God and see how our answers. We're going to put your answers on the board. No, I'm kidding. We're not. But we want to see how did my answers stack up to Enoch? Because we know Enoch pleased God Let's see how Enoch pleased God. We're going to read again the text, which is Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. And it's written like people were looking for him. Where's Enoch? He was not found. God took him up. Why? For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. What a great thing to be said He was pleasing to God. Verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Enoch was pleasing to God and we know where he is because we know he's been working through Genesis. So we're going to flip back to Genesis 5 and look at the Old Testament text that the writer of Hebrews has in his study. He's explaining to us, be like Enoch. And he says these things, Enoch 
was taken up by faith. He was pleasing to God. So where is he reading? He's reading Genesis chapter 5. Specifically, we'll zero in on 21 through uh, 24. Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Again, this is where the writer of Hebrews is in his old Hebrew Bible as he's writing to us and teaching us. And here's what 5, 21 through 24 says. It says, Enoch lived 65 years, and he became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and other daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Again, we don't know exactly how God took him, but the author doesn't want us to spend all our energies trying to figure that out. If he wanted us to know that, he'd have said, here's how he took him. That's not the point. The point is he took them. The point is, as the writer of Hebrews says, he didn't die like everyone else dies. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews. He says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Where does the writer of Hebrews get that? How does he know he didn't die? Well, look at chapter 5 in Genesis. He's reading his Bible. In Genesis 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So he's Read Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, gets to 5, and he's like, yeah, just read that. Verse 2, he created them, male and female. He blessed them, and he named them man, or Adam, in the day they were created. And so you see this picture of God the Father creating and having a son and naming them and blessing them. A very very fatherly son picture here, relational element being brought in. And then he describes what happened in verse 3 of, of Genesis 5. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became a father like God had a son, Adam had a son. And his son was in his own likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. So he sees this pattern developing. And then what do we read in verse 4? Then the days of Adam, after that he had Seth. In verse 5, after he had Seth, Adam died. And then after Seth had a son, he named him, and then Seth died. And then after that son had a son and named him, that son died. And then that son had a son and named him, and then that son died. And then that son had a son and named him, and that son died. But then Enoch walked with God 365 years, and he was not. The point of Genesis 5 is... God told you that if you sin against God, the punishment for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Adam sinned. Adam died. His sons died. The curse of sin was being passed down generation after generation until you get to this one person, Enoch. They died. They died. They died. Enoch didn't die. So what the author of Genesis is doing is saying, look, there is one who overcame death, the curse of sin. 
when you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account, we've seen the scene. God created Adam and Eve to enjoy intimacy with him in the garden. He created all things. And the way it's written is that God is the sovereign creator of all things. He sees what is good and he provides what is good. He sees what they need. He provides what they need. All they were asked to do was just stay with him. Just stay with God. He's the source of life and blessing, life eternal and all blessings. If you leave my side, he says to them, if you don't trust me, if you eat outside of a foreign wisdom, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instead of trusting I know what's good and evil for you, if you do that, you die. You pull yourself away from the source of life and blessing. And you see, that's what they did, and that's what their sons did, and that's what their sons did. But there's one shining example of life in the midst of the curse of death, and his name is Enoch. How did he do that? What did he do that they didn't do? What did Enoch have that they didn't have? The writer of Hebrews says faith. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Everyone died but Enoch. Enoch is an example of one who has life in the midst of death. What the first point the author wants us to see is we live amid death. The curse of sin is death. That means that life is broken. All around us, we don't have to look hard to see the brokenness of sin. Relationships are fractured, physical death, spiritual death, emotional death, relational death, the rust. The world is deteriorating physically because everything is unraveling as a result of humanity separating from God. And God's saying, you can have life, you can be a shining example of life in the middle of all this death. And he's holding that out to us as faith in the Redeemer. Now we've seen he's already been developing this concept of faith. What is faith? He said in Hebrews 11.1, faith is, is being certain. It's being convinced of the truthfulness of God about these unseen realities. The Christian faith is all about things we can't see and touch. Everything he's been teaching in Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews has been about, been about things that we can't see and touch, that we are sinners. You can't see that spiritually, but he says we are sinners. Every single one of us is on the same ground. We are sinners separated from God, just like Adam and Eve. But there's only one way to be made right with God, not through your merits, not through your good deeds. You can't do anything to make yourself right with God. You can't live a certain way during the week and then come in here and think you're going to bring something to kind of cover that all up. It's not how it works. That's not good news. That's bad news. If that was the gospel, that's bad news. You've got to work hard to please God. But I've got good news. The Bible says Jesus makes you right with God despite your failures. And so... The point is, you can't see that. You also can't see God's promises. It's all revealed in the scriptures. Unseen realities have been revealed in the scriptures. For instance, did you know that Jesus Christ has gone to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back? That's an unseen reality that you have to either believe or not believe by faith in the revealed word of God. 
He says when he comes back, he will receive to himself those who have trusted in Jesus and he will judge those who have rejected Jesus. That is an unseen reality that you either receive or reject by faith. And so he's been saying, listen, all of these things are received and you participate in the life of Christ by faith, convinced that God is telling the truth and he's faithful to do what he said he would do, especially in the person and work of this promised seed. In Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve fell, they rejected the source of life and blessing. They disobeyed him and their eyes were opened. And what did they learn? Oh, God was holding out on me? No. What they learned is their own shame. And then what they learned was a real hard lesson. The lesson was this. Happiness is not found in being made like God. Happiness is found in being with God. Let me say that again. Happiness is not found in being made like God. All are made in the image of God. But those who are truly happy are those who are with God. You see, they were, with, they were made in the image of God, and they were, by sin, separated from God. And that's when they realized the source of all life and happiness is being with God. That's what Enoch figured out. Enoch had faith, but it, it's, we need to understand two aspects of Enoch's faith. First of all, it wasn't some legalistic rules that he kept to be acceptable to God. How do we know that? The rules weren't even given yet. The writer of Hebrews is looking, who should I show as a great example? Well, I'm not going to show the Pharisees, though they had all the rules, they had all the religion, they had it all right. If that was all it took, he would say, that's what faith is. It's not what he said. He said, go to Enoch. Enoch was before those laws and those rules were even given. He's saying, here's a shining example of one who overcame the curse of death because of sin. And how do you do it? It wasn't by keeping rules. It wasn't by being so religious that God said, now you're good enough. It was by faith. Now, what does that mean, faith? The writer of Genesis tells us. The writer of Hebrews says it was faith. The writer of Genesis says in verse 22 of chapter 5, Enoch walked with God. Adam and Eve were right when they were with God. And when they sinned, they realized all of life and happiness was found with God, and now they're separated from God. In 3.15, God said, but I'm going to send a seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, though he will be bruised in the process. And the story of the Bible unfolds that promise, and his name is Jesus. He crushed the head of evil, though he was crucified in the process. Is Siri... I have a message from the Lord. (laughs) So the point is, faith, the kind of faith that Enoch had, was walking with God. It wasn't rules. It wasn't legalistic righteousness. It wasn't having just the right religious practices figured out. It was walking with God. Noah, who we'll look at next week, is another one held up as an example in Genesis 6, 9. It says about Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Why? Noah walked with God. This is a term used to describe intimacy. It's to describe fellowship. If I were to tell you that I've walked with Dana for 27 years, once you got over praying for her, her having to walk with me 27 years, you would know 
I get it. I know what he means. We dated six years. We've been married 21 years. We have walked together. Does that mean we've kept some rules? No, it means we are in relationship. I know her heart. She knows my heart. I know her mind. She knows my mind. We've worked through struggles together. We have worked through victories together. We have walked together for 27 years. I can just say something and she's like, that's exactly what I was about to say. That's exactly what I was thinking. We are one. We enjoy intimate fellowship with each other. We've walked together. He says Enoch walked with God like that. That's how Enoch walked with God. Now think about who he's writing to. He's writing to a people who understood, you don't mess with God. You go into the holy of holies like some people did, like the high priest's sons did, in an improper manner, and they came out in body bags. And they're going, you got to slay a lamb to be able to go into there and be in the presence of a holy God, and you're telling me he overcame death by walking in an intimate, loving relationship with God? Man, the blood of Christ must be powerful. He's saying that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. He's contrasting this to Cain, who thought his efforts were going to make him right with God. He's saying, no, Jesus makes you right with God. What God wants from you is to walk with you. Maybe it's easier understood when we think of a parent-child relationship. All the analogies in human relationships fall short, but you get the idea. If you've had the blessing of, of walking with your children, you know what that's like. To the extent that they have faith that you have a clue about what they're going through, that you have a wisdom, that you have a knowledge of good and evil that they don't have, to the extent that they trust and listen to you, you walk with them through life. You love them. You care for them. You protect them. You guide them. When they look to you, you give direction. And it is a joy. It's the greatest joy to walk with your children through joys and through struggles. That's what God wants with you. Isn't that crazy? Of all the things he could say, I want you to do for me, all other world religions ever in the history of humanity present a situation where the people are to do something for God. And then if they do enough, they're made acceptable. The the message of Christ is you don't do anything to be made right with God. Jesus' blood makes you right with God so that you can just walk with God. That's what he wants from you. What does God demand of you? To walk with him. Intimacy, a loving relationship, a trust. Yeah, it includes obedience, but not to be made right, but because you know he has the source of all wisdom and knowledge of what's good for you. And so you walk with God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That's faith. That's what I'm talking about. Faith in the blood of Christ makes you able to have a relationship with God. Now, enjoy it. Enjoy it like they had before the fall where God was the greatest good. God was the source of life and blessing. All they had to do was just enjoy him in an intimate, loving, trusting, obedient relationship. And he would get all the glory for what he is so glorious. And they would enjoy the beautiful relationship with God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, that's what God wants from us. To walk with God. 
He goes in verse 6 to explain a little more on the nature of that faith. He says, without faith, without walking with God, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's deal with that first negative statement first. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Think about that for a moment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, a lot of us feel like that's where we are. It's impossible to please God. And he's saying, well, you're right apart from faith. He's saying that no matter how much you give in that offering plate, no matter how much you serve selfishly behind the scenes, like the people are right now serving your children, no matter how much you pick up the trash at this building, no matter how many times you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how many Bible verses you memorize, no matter how many times you have family devotions, no matter how many times you fail to, to compromise integrity at work and you make the right decision and you are sacrificing, no matter how many times you do that, if you are not walking with God in faith by the blood of Jesus Christ, it does Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You are not earning anything before God with your works. And as he said to Cain, don't bring that in here. It's an insult to the blood of Christ if you think that's how you're made right with God. He says, I make you right with God through the blood of Christ. And that's why you give offering being assured of the love of God, of the righteousness of Christ, being assured that he loves you and accepts you unconditionally, not because of what you give, but he has given everything to you. That's what frees you for the joy of the Christian life. That's what frees you to reckless abandonment, radical generosity, service to others, honesty, integrity, because you know your standing is right with your creator. And that's a fun Christian life. That's what God wants for us. It all flows from walking with God. So the negative is, without faith, it's impossible to please him, but for he who comes to God must believe that he is... And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Those who are pleasing to God are those who know that God is real. The God of the Bible as presented, as has been revealed, the unseen realities, you know they're true, they're real, he's faithful. And he is a good, loving God who rewards those who seek him. Now listen to what he doesn't say. In our culture we've got to be clear here. He doesn't say he's a rewarder of those who seek rewards. He's not saying you get a new car and you get better circumstances and if you're good enough, he gives you what you want. No, he says, you seek me and you get me and I'm the great reward. In the Garden of Eden, what was their, what was their great reward? It was God. When they went outside that, they realized it. Man, happiness was with God. And so what he says is those who seek me earnestly and diligently find me. And at my right hand are pleasures evermore. God says, listen, I love you. And I want to walk with you. 
and I've made a way, and it's through the blood of Jesus, and I know the sins of the past, I know your sins today, and I know the sins you're going to commit tomorrow, but I will pour all that sin and judgment and wrath on my son Jesus on the cross if you receive that gift by faith, and I want you to do that. You know why? Because I want to walk with you. That's what pleases God. Isn't that crazy? Of all the top ten lists of things, God would say, here's what I want them to do most. I want them to walk with me. So let's think back about to our list. When I asked you, what was the number one thing that you said, this is what I could do that pleases God the most? How many of us said, walk with God? It's human nature to think I got to do something to earn something for God, but I know he doesn't want to just walk with me. He says, yes, I do. I created you to have intimate relationship with me. You ran, and now I'm pursuing you because I'm a gracious, merciful, loving God. And through the blood of Christ, you can be restored and reconciled and walk with me. It's what every human being longs for in the deepest depths of their soul. David Granger's back. Their family's back. They went to China to adopt two beautiful children. They came back as the Granger Seven. I mean, it sounds like a Western or something. The Granger Seven. Family of seven. Emma is their daughter. Jude is their son. And you can see in those two beautiful children everything that our hearts long for in a parent. It's not just shelter. It's not just food. It's not just safety. It's a loving relationship. Right now, the biggest challenge they're going to have is prying Emma off of Allison and prying Jude off of Granger. I'm sure he has heard nothing today except for, I wonder how bad Jude's crying when he realized I'm not there. It's that intense. That's what God wants with you. If you've ever had the great privilege of walking with your child, walking and talking, and they're just looking up in your eyes, and they're like doing their thing, whatever it is, and you just go, get up here, and you snatch them up, and you hug them, and they're going, come on, and you're going, oh, I love you so much, it hurts. Is that how you think God thinks about you? That's where that came from. That's what God did with Enoch. God's walking with Enoch, and he says, get up here, boy. I love you. And people are like, where'd he go? (laughs) That's what God wants from you. He wants you to walk with him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you as we discover the kind of God you are. Very simple. You want us to walk with you. Lord, I know there's a lot of people in our culture that have been taught and have learned by good, loving, sincere people an error. And that is an error that teaches us that if we are good enough, God accepts us. Or if we do church enough, God accepts us. Or if we 
are religious enough, God accepts us. But your message is very clear. You already love us. And you hate it when we walk away from you. It's not because you need us, but because you know we need you desperately. And that sin, and that sin deserves punishment. It's a removal of ourselves from the life source. But instead of saying, all right, work it off, you sent your your own son, the God-man, to die on the cross, to receive the punishment that we deserve. And if we will, by faith, if we will be convinced of the truth of this claim that you've made, if we believe that it is true and we will seek a relationship with you through his blood based on the truthfulness claims about Jesus and what he's done, we can find life amid the curse of death. I pray that for everyone here today, Lord. I pray that all of us, whether it's the first time entering into a relationship with God based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ, as we sang earlier, that we confident that we will stand before the throne of God clothed in His righteousness and not our own, God loves me and wants a relationship with me despite my good deeds. Lord, draw us to yourself today and we praise you. We praise you that you love us and you want to snatch us up into your loving arms and all that's made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.